Hannah Nieves of the Thrive Society podcast. And today I have the privilege of interviewing Jamie Stone. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you. Me too. You have such an incredible background. Um, and just hearing, we have similar backgrounds, by the way, like came yeah. from marketing myself, and this is what I do now. Um, and now you transition into this influencer space. I'd love for you to just take some time out before we get started, like share more about you and how did you get into this space? Yeah. So I'll try to give you the abbreviated version because it can be kind of long, but, um, so I'm from New York originally. Um, I started out interning at Chanel in fashion, and my first job was in beauty um, at a beauty PR agency. And I moved through the ranks of beauty PR in New York, doing very traditional beauty PR when there were, you know, tons of magazine editors and, and websites were becoming a thing, but like mm-hmm. bloggers not quite there yet, definitely not influencers. So I really was a traditional publicist. Um, and then when bloggers came onto the scene in around 2006, uh, I got assigned the the task of working with them um, because I did a lot of media relations. That was my specialty. So my boss was like, yeah, like figure this out. Like let's get our products on blogs. And at the time I was working um, for all the J and J skincare brands, like Aveeno, Neutrogena, Clean and Clear, Mm -hmm. those brands. And so, you know, it was kind of easy because all of the bloggers I was talking to, they knew about the brand already. And at that time, you know, they're just like, oh, you're sending me free stuff. Of course I'll write about it. Like it was just so simple. Mm-hmm. So I started doing that, but because I didn't, uh, you know, fully, it was a new world really. I did a lot of research and I'm like finding out like what so-and-so blogger wants to talk about what they like. And as I was doing this, I was like, wait a minute, I really like this. Like I love beauty and I love writing and I want to start a blog too. So in 2006, I started my blog at the time. It was called queen of the quarter life crisis. And I, love I it. <laughs> Obviously I aged out of that. So <laughs> in 2013, I changed it to honestlyjamie.com and that's what it currently is. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's kind of over the years, it, you know, it started out me doing it like hosting once a month, something like that. And now well, I am taking a bit of a hiatus at the moment, but it got to a point where I was posting, you know, four or five times a week and wow. getting brand partnerships, but all the while still working in marketing and, and PR and social media, because as a lot of listeners probably know, it's very difficult to just live off a blog unless, you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. unless you're getting like a million views a month or something like that. So, you know, I always did it sort of as a hobby. Um, And then, you know, fast forward to 2009, I got laid off when everybody else did during the, you know, the crash. And I was like, okay, I've always really wanted to live somewhere outside of New York. I've only ever lived in New York at the time. I Mm -hmm. went to Hofstra in New York, like lived, grew up north of Westchester, lived in New York city. So I'm like, I need to try something different. And I had gone to LA on a work trip the year before and just really was, you know, I fell in love with the glamour as so many people do. And I was like, I'm just gonna like try it for a year. And uh, it's been 12 years. <laughs> this wow. Month. Yeah. Wait, okay. So you're from North of Westchester. Yeah. I, I live North of Westchester too. So, I mean, we have to talk after this. <laughs> oh yeah. I don't want to like make you say where you live on, on the podcast, obviously, but yeah, I, I grew up in Carmel, which is just a little North of Westchester. So I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with that area, but we're very close. We're yeah. Very oh, close. that's so funny. Okay. After the, after the, we stop recording, I want to hear where you live. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, so it's just, you know, I just wanted to try something different and um, I moved here with no job and I knew like two people very casually. And mm. a few months later, Guthy Ranker found me on LinkedIn and they were specifically liked my resume because they were like, well, we love that you are a blogger. You have all this media connection, but you also have a corporate PR background. And so I worked there for two and a half years. 
Um, and then after that, one of my coworkers who I worked with at Guffy Ranker, she left Guffy to go to Soul Society, um, which at the time was a startup for like shoes and accessories. Mm -hmm. And they created a role for me called influencer marketing manager. She was like, we just need somebody who has connections to these bloggers, which were transitioning into influencers at that yeah. time. Um, and who gets the space and just gets it and who's a hustler. And so I worked there for a little under a year. Unfortunately, my position got cut. And after that, I was like, okay, I have a lot of contacts at this point. I, I'm probably still gonna look for another full-time job, but in the interim, I'll just like freelance and see what happens. And mm -hmm. that was in 2013. And so I'm still freelancing and consulting. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. And I love the stories because everyone has a background, right? Like everyone's story and how they got to where they got now is just incredible. Um, so you've worked with some of the most iconic brands in the industry. I'm talking Target, Equinox, Lancome, Elizabeth Arden. I mean, like these are massive brands, which not many people can say that they've worked with. Right. And it's amazing. And I think for a lot of people who are listening in, you know, we did um, a previous episode with another person who was an influencer and it's so fascinating coming from the YouTube space specifically. Um, and a lot of people are always so curious of like, okay, cool. You're influencing. Now you're working with these brands. Like what does this process look like? Like, how did you get into that? Is it more of like pitching, cold pitching? Is it building relationships first? Like what, what did that process look like when you started working with these brands? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think a lot of those brands that you just mentioned were partnerships from very early on. I highly mm -hmm. doubt I could get a partnership with Equinox now. So it's, and then that was also like an event partnership. It's different. So, but you know, I think at the beginning, because I was so one of the first beauty bloggers, um, the brands that were trying to dip their toes into that world were more open to working with someone with a, you know, I'm a micro influencer technically. Um, yeah back then there were no terms like that. It was just, you were a blogger or you weren't a blogger. And so they just kind of were like, we want to just get exposure out. And they would typically reach out to me either through an agency or some kind of, you know, mm -hmm. partnership like that. Um, sometimes it would be the direct brand, but very rarely. Um, it's, it's a different ball game now. I mean, now I do pitch myself. I just had my blog's 15th anniversary in April and Amazing. I reached out to a bunch of brands that I've loved and have worked with in the past and, you know, have been supported, supported them either, you know, organically or just whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and I asked them, I said, here's how much I'm charging for this sponsored giveaway. Like would love to have you. I've talked about you this many times and almost everybody said yes, because Amazing. they, they just see the, the value in having somebody who's loyal. Like, so an example would be, um, Shiseido. I've had a great relationship with them since they started dipping their toes into this world many years ago. And I love their products. Genuinely, I talk about them organically all the time. And so they're great. They were like, yeah, we want to support you. You're doing a 15th anniversary giveaway. Like, of course, we're going to support you. So yeah, in that case, like I'll pitch, but you know, I will say it sucks. Like since COVID, I have a lot less, like just completely, you know, unsolicited things coming mm -hmm. in. I, before that I would have maybe like once or twice a month, a brand would approach me about like a potential partnership, mm -hmm. but it's really, um, it hasn't been as lucrative as, as it has mm -hmm. been. I'm hoping it kind of kicks itself back, but I'm also kind of like, well, I also just can't sit around on my laurels, like waiting. I, I have to pitch myself more if that's what's going to, how it's going to be, you know, yeah. um, yeah. you kind of have to adapt. 
Yeah. I would imagine too, like the industry probably has changed a lot since like you first started into now. Yeah. And, um, I would imagine too, you probably went through like a lot of like tough lessons too, like going through this process and like learning the hard way. I'm just curious too, have you like, were there any tough lessons that came like come to mind when like working with these brands? Because I came from the background of sitting on the other side of the table. Like I was pitched working from the brand side from influencers. So I've received on the other end. So I'm just curious, like, as you've gone through this pro- like process, like what have been some of those biggest learning lessons? Yeah. I mean, I think I'm, I'm lucky because I also have that same background that you do where I've, mm-hmm. I really haven't made any mistakes that come to mind as far as brand partnerships, because for me, yeah. I mean, my blog is called honestly, Jamie, I'm a, if you know me or if you follow me, you know, I'm a very honest, direct person. Like <laughs> it's that because is, you're from New York. It's exactly. <laughs> Exactly. I think it's that like times a thousand though, because it's just like, I, I'm not mean, but like, I will, if you ask my opinion, I'm going to tell you like, I, and I won't like sugarcoat it in any way. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think for me, like when brands would approach me, if I didn't like the product or I wasn't interested in that brand, like I would say it in a very polite way. I never took partnerships that didn't feel right to me. You know, yeah. from the beginning, it didn't matter. Like I always said, you know, I, I, never smoked a cigarette. I don't drink soda. So like if Coke came to me, I would probably say no, because I genuinely don't like their product. I don't like mm-hmm. soda um, and health reasons, but also I just don't like the taste of it to be quite <laughs> honest. I've never liked it. So mm-hmm. I know and like anything with cigarettes or tobacco or like jewels, yeah. like any of that, like any kind of, I call it diarrhea tea, like skinny tea, like it, it would never, <laughs> I would never talk about that. Like I don't believe in it. Um, yeah. And so like, I, I've always stuck to that my blog is mostly beauty focused. So if if a brand I've never heard of approaches me and they say, you know, can you talk about this, whatever this, let's say it's a moisturizer. I always say like, Oh, I have to try it first. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily need to try it long enough to see results because as you know, with skincare, sometimes you have to see like, it'll take like eight weeks at least minimum Mm -hmm. to see results, but I'll test it for like a week or two and be like, okay, I'm seeing some progress here. And I'll say that in in the blog post. Um, but no, I've, I've turned down things before there was actually just a brand a couple months ago, uh, it was for an anti-aging, like it wasn't a serum. It was kind of like a treatment. And I just didn't like the way it felt on my face. I was like, Ugh, mm-hmm. it's like sticky. And like, it doesn't like, you can't put anything on top of it. And so I said, I politely told them that. And they were like, we really appreciate that feedback. And like, thank you for being honest and not just, you know, mm-hmm. taking the deal to take the deal. Yeah. And it's so interesting too, because like you mentioned before, like testing the product first, because I also get pitched um, and my platform is, is not massive, um, but I get pitched from some brands every now and then. And more recently got pitched from a wine company who wanted me to promote their wines. And so I said, well, I need, I need to try it first though. Yeah, I need to try it and taste it first because how do I know what I'm, you know, um, promoting to my audience as well. So I love that you said that too, because sometimes I find as well, some brands will just expect you to like, Hey, we're giving either for free and we expect you to promote it. You know, I get that a lot. You probably get that so much as well, or it's more so, Hey, we want you to promote this, but you're like, Whoa, Whoa, I've never used this product yet. I need to make sure it actually aligns because I don't know about you, but like, I'm super protective of my audience and they built that trust with you, you know? So it's like, you want to make sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, and there's, you know, of course there's going to be things that I like and you might not not like, but at least if I'm telling you that I like it, it's coming from an authentic place. You know, you don't have to agree with me, but I like, I would exactly, I would never, especially wine because wine, you just really might not like the taste of it. Like it could, it could be really bad wine, unless it's something you had had before in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also want to say, be wary of brands that aren't willing to let you try it before you talk about it. Because to me, that's just like a shady tactic. When I've worked yeah. on the marketing side, um, I did, I did some marketing for a collagen brand a couple of years ago. And, um, 
you know, I reached out to an influencer who had, had a lot of food content and we sent her some of the products and she wrote back, I just really don't like it very much. And I, I said, they, no problem. I told the client, they were like, okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, thank you for being honest. We'll find mm-hmm. somebody else who does like totally get it. And it's probably good also like market research for the, the brand itself, because if they're getting people getting the same feedback, it's probably better off that they're getting that feedback. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. That know? feedback was rare for them. So they were just like, it's just not her taste. And that's totally okay. And that's it. Yeah. So what would be now that this landscape has like changed so much, like for people that are wanting to get into the space now, like wanting to monetize their brands, like for example, a lot of people and a lot of clients I work with are in more of this online entrepreneur like space, right? Like they're business owners. And a lot, I'm noticing this trend of a lot of business owners who maybe they do consulting, they do coaching, they have a product brand are wanting to almost leverage their own personal brand into influencing, right? So yeah. what tips would you say for people? Cause you, made that transition. Um, what tips would you recommend? That's a great question. And it's something that I think, especially now people are really doing Mm -hmm. a lot more of, because at the end of the day, like, and I said this in another podcast too, like it sounds, I hate the way this sounds because it does sound like kind of (laughs) asshole-ish to say, but like everybody's a brand, like, but, but, but you kind of are like you, Mm -hmm. you're a brand, even if you're on just LinkedIn, like your photo, people might judge you by that photo. It doesn't mean you have to be a supermodel, but like, it just means like, if you have a pixelated grainy photo, people will be like, maybe that person doesn't get digital because Mm -hmm. you don't even know how to upload a photo. That's the right size. (laughs) So like little things like that, like they make a big difference. Um, you know, so I think if you are someone who has a business and you want to like a good example of that would be Ali Webb, right? The founder of Drybar. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, she's a perp. She was on Shark Tank. Like I had her on my podcast. Like she's just, yeah. she's it. Um, she did a really good job of, of distinguishing herself as an entrepreneur, as a business founder associated with Drybar, but also talks about other things too, as far as yeah. business, being an investor, things like that. So I think the first step would really be to probably figure out exactly how you want to position yourself. Maybe it's not that, maybe it's something else. Maybe you know, let's say you own a spa, maybe you're like, oh, I'm the go-to esthetician and I happen to own this spa. So you kind of have to figure that out first. Um, And then after that, like, I think having a really strong social media presence specifically on Instagram, and I would say TikTok, um, Mm -hmm. very, very important. And, you know, it doesn't mean you have to post all the time, but what you post should look good aesthetically and like not look like a hot mess, which (laughs) is a lot easier said than done, as you know. (laughs) It is an art. It is an art. You know, it's so interesting because, you know, especially come from the corporate space, like people don't really realize how much work goes into the influencer space, like actually curating content for your audience. It's, yep. it's a process. It is an art. There's so much that goes into it. I'm like, when I see influencers, like, you know, creating different campaigns and I see the work that goes into it. And I'm like, I know, I know yep. <laughs> it's a lot. It is so much. So, um, super helpful tips. And I'd love to know, like, are you seeing anything just like in terms of trends in that space, specifically working with brands as we kind of move into 2022 with COVID happening, I feel like the landscape for business as a whole has changed so much, um, in terms of marketing. So have you noticed any like trends that are happening or that you foresee, I guess, in the next, in the next year? Yeah. I mean, I think, well, the obvious ones would be that, you know, Instagram has announced that they're no longer a photo sharing platform, which I mm-hmm. don't accept, but like, <laughs> they, they can go with that for now. If that's what they want to say, I have, I have some beef with Instagram because of their just lack of support for creators in general. And, you know, they're trying to make up for it now, but it's, I feel like sometimes it's a, l- a little too late, you know, they're just trying to compete mm-hmm. with TikTok at this point. Absolutely. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think video content is really just, you don't even have to do it specifically for Instagram. You could shoot something and then post it on TikTok and Instagram, um, you know, separately. 
or maybe cut things differently if you want. I, I'm always a believer that you can share it on all the platforms and like it, nobody's really going to care because you're always going to have followers that don't follow you on every single platform. So there's mm-hmm. not too much crossover. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think video is definitely the way to go. It doesn't mean like you can never share photos on Instagram, share photos, because I still think that they're full of it. But, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. but I think I think video just in general um, is the way to go. Like there's even the short, not the long form so much, um, but like the shorter like reels and like things like that, um, or like a short IGTV would be good. Focus on that. And if, if you're not comfortable on camera, then don't focus on that. Because that's something I've also talked about in other podcasts is that I think it's important to know your strengths and not everybody's going to be good on camera. So it's better to like not do something you're bad at <laughs> and mm-hmm. focus on what you're really good at. So if you're a photographer or if you're an entrepreneur who takes really beautiful photos, still do that. Don't, doesn't mean that you have mm-hmm. to make videos just to make videos. But if you're somebody who's open to it, then it's something to definitely explore. Yeah, that's been my problem with the video content because I have no skill whatsoever when it comes to editing and especially like the short form, like the reels. Like sometimes I see my friends that do these incredible reels where I'm like, how do you think of this? Like these ideas. It really is like you either have to have either a, well, actually Canva just came out with this new, um, new feature where you can edit TikTok or videos on Canva. I did not know that. It's meant for the people like me that don't know (laughs) how to edit it. Um, but either a, you have to go that route or B you have to outsource that and get someone else to help edit that content for you. Yeah. And that can get costly. I mean, there, listen, there are a lot of like maybe college students or recent mm-hmm. grads that would do it for not, you know, for a reasonable amount of money. But I know mm-hmm. when I was trying to grow my YouTube a few years ago, I was paying a reasonable rate to a really great guy named Chase. He's awesome. If anybody ever needs anybody in LA, he's yeah. amazing. Um, Chase Carnahan, shout out. But like, Love it. you know, it, it was, it was costing me money and I wasn't making anything on YouTube, mm-hmm. you know, so it, it really, I had to kind of figure out do I want to keep investing in this? And then ultimately I decided no, cause it just, I felt like the platform was just kind of too young and it wasn't, it wasn't that I hated doing the videos, but it wasn't like super fun. Like I like TikTok genuinely, but I'm mm-hmm. not like a YouTube watcher unless I'm like specifically searching for something like how do I clean blah, 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 you know, like, yeah. like that. <laughs> how yeah. do I clean a dirty table? Like random. <laughs> how do I get the stain off of this? Like stuff. Yeah. Same, but, same. but I'm not just like scrolling YouTube watching videos. So I just felt like it wasn't really authentic and I was losing so much money. I just stopped doing it. Um, but yeah, you kind of, you, you should invest where you feel like you're the strongest. I love that. I love that tip because there's so many things that you can do, whether it's TikTok, it's YouTube, um, it's having the blog, Instagram. There's so many things that sometimes I find it to be over like overwhelming, right? There's so many things that you have to do, especially with content creation as well, because like, listen, you're trying to get those views, right? You're trying to set your brand up to pitch these larger brands, um, to partner, which so super, super helpful. Um, I, I feel like I could go on and on with this conversation because I love it so much. And it's something actually even for HN that we're going to be um, pursuing more in 2022. So this is so timely. Um, I'd love to know, and I, listen, I ask this question actually on every single podcast episode, because, um, the reason why I started this was because I wanted to keep it real, right? Like everyone's got their story. Everyone's gone through things. Um, and that's why it's called the thrive society. So I'm just curious, like, um, over, you know, your, the years of starting your business, has there been something, a challenge or an obstacle that you've went through that really has shaped just the trajectory of like where you are now? Like I try to pull back the curtain on the tough shit. So if there's anything that comes to mind. Yeah, there's two things actually. One, 
was awful at the time, but much smaller by comparison. I would say the first thing that happened was um, I almost got sued for copyright infringement. Wow. <laughs> so I like legally can't say the name of this company, but they are the devil. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's a stock image company in Canada. And so basically what happened was, as, as I said earlier, I started my blog in 2006. Blogs were the wild west. Nobody really knew what they were doing. There were no rules, essentially, at least mm -hmm. not to like the gen. I mean, maybe a lawyer knew, but like, no, the general population didn't know like, oh, I can't just take an image off Google and use it. And over the years, sometimes I've gotten some emails like, oh, hey, I saw you have my image up. Like, would you mind giving me credit or taking it down? Oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Mm -hmm. Of course, like happy to give you credit. I really yeah. apologize. In this case, there was no warning. They just sent me a bill for, I think it was like, I, I want to say it was like $12,000 or something like obscene. Wow. Like and I was like, I'm not paying this. And I, I sent it to like a bunch of my lawyer friends who specifically don't do copyright law. They do other kinds of law. And they were like, this is just ignore this. This is like a joke. They're in Canada. They're never going to like sue you. It would cost them way more money. Well, little did I know copyright law is very different than regular law or I guess the typical law where it's, wow. um, it's set up to protect the artist. In this case, this company was not the artist. They were the man, I guess you could call them, but they had bought the rights from the artist. So they therefore own kind of the same rights as the artist mm -hmm. would have potentially had. And so they were like, if you don't pay, we're going to take you. Like they hired an attorney in San Diego. So in California where I live, I live in LA, but, um, and they were literally going to take me to court. And at that point I was like, what is happening? So I ended up, I have a friend whose dad works in this world in New York city at a mm -hmm. huge firm. And he was as a favor to his son looked at this for me and was like, oh yeah, like if, if they take you to court, you're going to lose. Like <laughs> you technically did break the law. Like they're scumbags and they're like, essentially what we think happened is that they waited until like the max terms. Mm. So I think I had it up for like seven or eight years, whatever the max term was. And so they could get the full amount of money um, to sue me. And you know, the lawyer I talked to was like, it depends what kind of mood the judge is in that day. You know, he could say, you know, you, I think max would be like $50,000. You have to pay them. And then you have to pay for your legal fees too. He's like, you're, you really should just settle with them. Because, photo. Yeah. For a photo. It, it was a photo of Santa Claus, by the way, that I made no money off of. It was like, it wasn't like it was, you know, I advertise it. Like it literally was just like a Merry Christmas blog post with a photo of Santa. And I took it off Google and I didn't know any better. And oh my so gosh. that was a very stressful lesson because I didn't really know what I was getting myself into when I was like ignoring the emails. And then I started like arguing back with them. And eventually we negotiated it down to $2,000. And I was just like, I was annoyed, but I was like, it is what it is. Like it's better than having it's a lesson. Court, yeah. Right. And paying 50,000 yeah. plus their legal fees and like dealing with all of that. And, um, you know, it also shows you, cause I Googled the company and there was like all these Reddit threads saying, oh, you like, I own, you know, a nail salon in Iowa and they've attacked me for a ball. Like they're just, they're demons, you know, they're just troll monsters and they're, they're trying to get the little guy. Um, which is really unfortunate, but it was a lesson learned that there are companies like that, that just try to like suck people for money. And yeah. I'm not saying that I was right. I mean, obviously I did technically break the law, but I think that it could have been handled in a very different way. Like, yeah. you know, like I said earlier, the other emails were just like, Oh, Hey, would you credit or take this down? Or even if they had, you know, explained the whole process to me, it, it would have been very different. Um, so that, that was a very stressful lesson learned is like, button yourself up, like take the business side of this very seriously. This is no longer a hobby and it hasn't been for me for a very long time. So after that, you know, I looked into business insurance and I formed an S corp. So I have like more protection mm. and things like that. But at that time, it, it just seemed like, like I said, a hobby. And so I didn't really think that I had to protect myself, but yeah, I definitely did. 
It, you're so right. And for those that are listening, hire an attorney, because this is something too, that I preach, especially as business owners. Like I do done for you work and listen, y'all need to protect yourself legally yeah. with your contracts, protect your brand. I mean, like things happen like that. And again, it's something that you, you know, eight years ago, you're not really thinking at the time. I mean, that's such a normal thing. There were no like, Hey, please make sure that you credit this person if it's on so-and-so whatever, but it's just crazy to see like that stuff can happen. And sometimes you don't realize, you know, so super, and obviously it's, it's a lesson that you didn't want to go through, but probably super <laughs> valuable because it set you up to be like, okay, every step I make now is going to be, I'm going to make sure that I'm like protecting myself, you know? Yeah, no. And make sure you're also hiring someone who specifically does what you need. Because I thought, you know, like I said, I asked my lawyer friends and they poo-pooed it and it's like, well, that's not the law they do. So they didn't know like it, you know, and in retrospect, I probably should have just gone straight to the source first, but you're just like, Mm -hmm. Oh, I have these lawyer friends. They could just tell me for free in three seconds. Like, should I be worried about this? And so, (laughs) yeah, I think just make sure you're going to the right people because I also find that lawyers don't like to admit when they don't know something. Mm -hmm. And I'm not Mm -hmm. even talking about my two friends. I mean, just in general, like even lawyers I'm working with now for separate stuff. Like I'm like, okay, but like, what about this? They're like, um, I'll get back to you. Like, they'll never say, I don't know. Yeah. It's very distinct, you know, find, find the specialists that you need to protect yourself. So great, great advice. You're amazing. I am so happy that we were able to connect and this was so, so helpful, informational. And I think people are going to be able to take away a lot. Where can people find you connect with you? And I'll include this in the show notes too. So my podcast is a little too much with Jamie Stone. It's on Apple iPod, whatever they call it with it. Like Mm -hmm. Apple, I didn't call Apple Spotify, but no, (laughs) Apple Podcasts. (laughs) Spotify, Stitch, all those things. Um, my blog is honestlyjamie.com and you can find me on uh, TikTok and Instagram at it's Jamie Stone, I-T-S-J-A-M-I-E Stone. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, thank you. Thank you.